0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Donna, for reading the word from her. Are you good? Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. And y'all say? Uh, y'all, y'all say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, saints. That's it. Praise be to his name. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'll take my hat off because Pete said I'm not supposed to wear my hat in the house of God. Isn't he a Pharisee? Um, <coughs> this <laughs> this morning I want to give my, my uh, pitch again. As many of y'all know, uh, I talked to you last week about community groups. And uh, here it is again. Community is important. That's it. Community is important. It is a place where you are able to connect with real people. Community is important. And at downtown church, we want you to be—we want you to feel connected and be connected. And whatever that may look like for you and your and your in li- your family and your life at this time, make community a priority. All of the other things in terms of what, do, how much time do I need to be there, and what I with with a community, you kind of figure that out. Amen. That's my that's my pitch this week. Simple, straight to the point. Um, and people should be inviting you to community groups, and if you are new to our church in all seriousness, please uh, email me, and uh, we can find out where uh, you can be plugged in in terms of having community <clears throat> community, whether that is locally to you or uh, some by someone you know. Amen this morning, we are Starting just a two part series right before we go into Advent. Um, This week is me, and next week, Richard will come back to uh, finish this off. And this series is about generosity. As you would know this morning, the title is Generosity and God's Grace. And we feel as the text that we're preaching this morning is particularly, uh, uh, particularly good for us to understand because generosity without God's grace we're only giving in a way in which we feel we want to achieve something. But we're only giving out of self-righteousness. And so we understand God's grace helps us to understand what it means to be generous. And when you look at what Paul and who Paul is talking to, particularly in this passage, we don't have time to exhaust um, this entire passage. But we will look around the surrounding context. But just to set us up this morning, Paul is... <clears throat> calling the people of God to contribute to the poor who live around them, uh, uh, the poor in, actually, in Jerusalem. So they call this, scholars say this is a collection um, for Jerusalem. And what he is doing is helping them to see that they are under uh, somewhat of persistent economic um, empowerment. And they need some relief. And what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian church, who is actually a church that has means is to support their brothers and sisters. Not because these individuals cannot, um, these individuals do not do anything, but particularly when you look at 8, chapter 8, verse 13 through 14, it's because the goal is equality. When you see brothers and sisters who are in need, when you see brothers and sisters who, uh, who who, who are in need of the body, not just financially, but also when it comes to the gospel. The idea of it is is equality. It's fairness. And that's what Paul is making a point of uh, in this particular passage. Because it's not that they can't go out and supply their own needs due to trying to work or and anything like that. It's the fact that if you have people that can support you, why why not use that? And this helps us because this scripture passage does something in particular. It helps us with a distinct theological framework or foundation to understand what generosity directly helps us with. And that's with the acts of grace and living those out and experiencing that in, relation, in the context of relationship with Christ, but then also in the context of relationship with one another. Amen. So, so generosity in, the, in relationship in relationship with Jesus, uh, but then also generosity in relationship with one another. And that's, that is the framework that you all are to use this morning as we look at this passage. Uh, let me pray before we dive into God's word. Father, we love you and we bless you. As we've already seen, seen saying this morning, your name is beautiful. Your name is wonderful. You're powerful because you're the line of Z- Judah. And you have no rivals. And Lord Jesus, nothing will be able to conquer you because you have conquered all things. So help us this morning, Jesus, to look into your passage to understand the power of your grace and your love and what you did on the cross by the acts of your grace and the acts of grace towards one another. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, all God's people said, Amen. So a mother said to her child one time, baby, I'm going to give you a dollar bill and a quarter. They were sitting in church and said, I'm going to give you a dollar bill and a quarter. When the offering bucket comes around, just go ahead and figure out which one you would have put in the offering bucket. Okay. And so the the, the daughter had a dollar and a quarter in her hand and the offering bucket comes around. And then the preacher says right in front of everybody, God loves a cheerful giver. And so, and right before um, she does that, she makes her exchange into the offering bucket. And then, they get in the car on their way to lunch, and the mother said, Well, baby, what do you, how much did you put in the offering plate today? She said, Well, I put a dollar in. But then the, pre, the man at the pulpit said, if God, God loves a cheerful giver. So I figured I'd be far more cheerful if I took my dollar back and I put the quarter in. <laughs> Motives, motives. God, at many times, wants us to be motivated with acts in which are holy and gracious. In fact, most of the time in our Christian lives, whether we know it or not, we're not motivated to be generous because of grace. We're motivated to be generous because of guilt. A lot of times we, don't, we, we, we think to ourselves or we give or we even hear pleas as to how much to give and what to give and hearing a story. And so we're motivated because something grips our heart and sometimes it grips our heart in a good way. But then there are times where we're gripped because of what we feel like we haven't done. And what I want us to understand this morning is that our generosity should not be motivated by guilt. Our generosity should be motivated by what Jesus has done. Our generosity should be motivated by the grace and the sacrificial work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we know that and we understand that, it reminds us even with the woman who walks up and offers just the two uh, pennies in the offering bucket. And then you also have the Pharisees who are offering far more than her. Why does Jesus recognize who she is? Well, it's because it was the context in which she offered it because he had that was all that she had. And it wasn't that she was trying to give it because she wanted to be motivated by something else either, but something else other than the power and the work of Jesus Christ. And what am I saying when I say that? It's that a lot of times we can be like those who are not humble, but we exalt ourselves because out of our guilt... Our generosity becomes out of display. And so we want to change that. We want to say this morning, the big thing, our generosity should be motivated by grace and the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. That's why our two points this morning it is: grace, motivated generosity leads to joyfulness amid affliction and poverty. And that's particularly interesting because sometimes we think about giving generously out of a surplus. But what if you think about giving generously out of depletion? That makes a contrast in relation to to how we actually give. If I, I just need this better job in order for me to give more. Well, if you weren't giving when you didn't have anything, you wouldn't give when you do have something. Right? So we want to change that motivation. And we will see particularly what that looks like to be going through trials and tribulations and suffering, affliction, and poverty, but yet at the same time have an idea of what it means to give out of an abundance. That's powerful. And we'll see that in verses 1 through 6. And then when we get to verses 7 through 9, we'll see grace-motivated generosity is an outcome of our inward um, spiritual Uh, uh, an, An inward An outward expression of our inward Spiritual formation Does that make sense? That we cannot And Paul will get to this when we look at this We cannot detach how we're growing In our spiritual lives From the fact of how we are generous To our brothers and sisters we can't attach, we can't detach those, those, those things. We can't make a distinction. They're closely related to if I am growing in my relationship all this year. We've been talking about growing in relationship and in intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. And also what it means in the context of community. So when you think about what it means where God is doing this inward transformation in your heart, it breaks you and it makes you and it shapes you in terms of how you're generous and to, and to your brothers and sisters and you've seen this some of y'all went this week when Scott did a, a huge party and there were so many people who there, some were motivated by different things and others were motivated because they had a sincere ability to give and wanted to see generosity at hand. Let's dive right into verse 1 because I don't think y'all believe what I'm saying right now uh, or y'all just may be a little too cold. Uh, verse: two, Looking at looking at grace motivated generosity leads to joyfulness amid affliction and poverty. Think about that when Paul is saying to them. When you go to verse one, we want you to know, brothers, about great about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So what he is trying to demonstrate is that actually God has given, or God has displayed a level of grace in which ought to essentially display a level of generosity. I've been trying to say this over and over again, so y'all can y'all can talk with me this morning. Amen. Somebody. Uh, so what what. What he is saying is you need to know about What you need to know about this grace I like the NIV when reading this particular passage Because the NIV kind of makes it a little bit more plain So you will hear me saying particular scriptures Particular passages from the NIV As opposed to the ESV Because I don't want y'all to overthink this this morning And so what he is saying is Know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church This grace is an effort not of their own and a desire, and a desire, and an ability are in, and, and out of their own capacity, but it's out of what God has done with them and done to them. This joy isn't something they can purchase. This joy isn't something that they can gain. You're saying to yourself, "What joy? And how can they have joy amid affliction?" Y'all been hearing us talk about flourishing while suffering for the past several weeks, so we just kind of we wanted to set up this idea of that suffering doesn't mean that it is all bad. That you can see God's glory and you can have joy in the midst of it. That's why we were saying you can flourish in it. And And thus, when you look at what Paul is saying to them, he's saying your desire, your ability, and capacity to contribute to the efforts in Jerusalem didn't come from your own self. It came from the grace that you know from God. And not only that, he speaks of the sufficiency of God's grace and in, in their lives, and he wants you to notice this that look at verse two. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So what what and what the NRV says is this he says that it is a welled up. What's welled up in them is rich generosity. So out of an abundance of joy and extreme poverty, extreme poverty, here it is, they give out an abundance. They experience and are are generous. Now this helps us because this is fundamental to our theological understanding when it comes to grace, ge- grace motivated generosity. And why is that? Because listen, test and affliction does not mean depletion. Test. And affliction does not mean depletion. What he is saying is, affliction and testing that actually produces an abundance of joy and in the midst of extreme poverty impacts the believer in such a way it leads to generosity and liberates them, get this, liberates them from guilt, shame, self-righteousness, and religi- religiosity. Guilt shame self righteousness and religiosity why is it self righteousness because we can pride ourselves on if we've done a good job if i've done if i've if i've met my quota i've done a good job and that's what it translates in the same way of how we express our joy well if things are going well then i have joy and what the bible says is things don't need to go well in order for you to have joy The Bible says you can have it in the midst of of trouble. And then this guilt and this shame actually is something that motivates us out of what we don't understand about the doctrines of grace. When we do not understand the doctrines of grace, what happens is each and every day of our lives, we think to ourselves that we are sinners and we're never good because we can never do then we think to ourselves, I don't deserve to be a child of God because he didn't elect me. Then we think to ourselves, I do not deserve God's grace that is, that is not going to stop coming toward me because of what I've done. Some of y'all have messed up over the past couple weeks. Just this week, some of y'all cussed out the driver next to you. Some of y'all went on ahead and told somebody off in the grocery line. Some people in here have maybe done something unethical. But the reality is, if you're only motivated to reverse any of that out of the fact of guilt and shame, then I'm saying to you, you don't understand grace. Because what grace says is, it's not about what's earned, it's about what's, got, what's been given out of the abundance of unmerited favor. That is the beauty about being a child of God And here it is Here's some here are some ways that we also see in our, in our own way, in our society Motivations of acts of grace Everybody remember LeBron James Making the school and creating the school And everybody's seen that Someone who has come out of abject poverty And many of us can relate to that Some of us cannot relate to that But many people who are athletes or celebrities Or who have so much money that they can create foundations What happens is They always reflect on where they came from And to where they are now No matter if you're a Christian or no matter if you are non-Christian. You're always reflecting on this idea of, I used to be here, but now where does God have me? Now, I think there is a robust understanding of God's transformative work if you're a Christian, but I think it can be misconstrued if you are a non-believer. Because then, when you think about where God had you and what you're doing, you're always moving and motivated to do efforts that will be self-righteous. Amen somebody and then you also think about people who cannot relate to being have grown up in abject poverty. You have you've had means. And, and you and right now you're in this church because you you want to make it, you want to be a part of making a change in the city of Memphis. And you're a Christian because you want to see the gospel go forward. And so you've always had means, or you've always been able to uh, you've always been generous, but yet at the same time, if that generosity is only motivated to make effect to affect change simply because of what you have and not who you have, it changes the paradigm. Y'all see where I'm going this morning? Are y'all following me? It's just too cold. Okay, I'm going to take the head nods. But think about this. Kirk Warner, I, I used to be a St. Louis Rams fan until they left because they're in L.A. now. I'm done with them. Done. Hey, they went to L.A., I'm done. So I went over here and I, I packed my bags and I went over to the Kansas City Chiefs, It was where my wife's from. And so, um, but I remember when Kurt Warner came to the league. And when he came to the league, everybody, no one knew his story. He just became a phenomenal quarterback and they went a Super Bowl and then he went to go, he was two-time NFL MVP with uh, the Arizona Cardinals. His story is amazing. But when you understand where he came from, you can appreciate what they do when they go to restaurants. He and his kids, they have a game that they play, and they call it the restaurant game. Every time they go to the restaurant, they ask the waiter, who is someone they can be able to pay for their meal? And they have, but what they do is they have the kid... That particular time, pick out one child, and they will pick out who they want, the they'll pick out from the waiter who they want to support and take care of their meal. And so, throughout that game, what they're trying to teach their kids, because they will pay for the meal, and I know y'all heard my story about when somebody paid for my meal, I didn't even know it. I was like, oh my goodness gracious, why does not this happen every time? But, but... I don't know if you've ever experienced that where somebody just paid for your meal and you got the bill and you're like, if I just would have got the sweet potato pie and if I would have got the German chocolate cake and I would just wrap the German chocolate cake up and took it home, you know. And like, hey, but, but when you have somebody do that, what, what happens is you you sense, there's a, there's a real good feeling. And there's a real good sense of like, you're saying to yourself, there are really good people out here, right? Well, what Kirk Warner is trying to do with his kids is help them to see that they have an abundance. They didn't come from where he came from, where he was working night shifts at the grocery store, and they were living on food stamps, trying to simply feed his family every time. They they didn't know about where they simply were suffering and could think about that. Now their tradition comes out of a joy that they know that their suffering didn't last always. And so what he tells his kids is, we want our kids to grow up knowing that because of football, we are blessed. And Warner said, we never want them to lose sight of what's really, what it's really about. Our circumstances are not the most important thing. It's what we do with those circumstances. That is why, when you look at it, what it means to be motivated... In a gracious way to be generous, it leads to such joy because it helps us testify about the goodness of Jesus Christ. You can't necessarily testify if you don't have joy in the Lord. I want to make that clear in the Lord. Because there's so many people that I've seen and I've run into um, that they didn't have a dollar to their name. But they said, Mike, I have joy. They all they couldn't put they all they could eat was ramen noodles and uh, uh, boiled bologna sandwiches, all of that. But they still had joy. Even people who lost so much, I see people who've who've lost their families, men who have lost their families because they've they've been stuck in their careers for so long, and then when they snap out of it, it's when they get divorce papers. And the testimony is, is that God, God was with me even though I went through the divorce and my ignorance. And so now I, I, I can, I can still, even though I'm signing divorce papers, I can have joy in the Lord. It's hard to even say that. It's hard to even form those words. This is what Paul says and testifies about what they do in verses three through five. He's he's showing that Christians become God's greatest testimony by God's great by God's grace. Christians become God's greatest testimony by God's grace. But there's something that we have to realize that that those who don't have much and the way that they give generously anyway, that's so powerful. We, We should never overlook brothers and sisters who give whatever they have. Whether it's a dollar, whether it's two pennies, whether it's $20 or whatever, we should never look down upon them because they're giving because of who they know. And that's the most important thing. And then we know also those who, who don't necessarily think to themselves of the capacity that they have. What Paul shows us in this fourfold uh, evidence of liberation from guilt, shame, religiosity, and self-righteousness, we see this when he says in verses 3-5, through five, They gave beyond their means. I want y'all to take that. They gave on their own accord. The ESV says this, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking in relief of the saints. The NIV makes it a little bit more plain. They urgently pled with us for the privilege of sharing. They understood the privilege of sharing. And then they said this, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So first of all, you have, they gave beyond their means, which means generous, God genero- Godly generosity, generosity encourages believers to give even though they're in an impoverished state. Is that clear to you? It, it doesn't mean that you, that you give frivolously. It's not this, let me sow a seed and then lay it on the altar and then we, we just kind of grow thing. It's you give knowledgeably. You give because you know God's grace, and you know Him, and thus you give generously after budgeting and making sure that it's clear to do so. I'm not gonna lie to y'all. Somebody, when I moved to St. Louis, I, I, you know, excuse me, when I moved to St. Louis, I mean, when I moved back, when I moved to Memphis from St. Louis, my church family was excited. You know, I preached. Then they made <laughs> they made a little vi- a DVD of, of like um, all the things, uh, like of, of times that I preached or times that I served. And then you know, if you've been a black church, you know, sometimes it, it, it's kind it, it's a little extra sometimes because it was like you had the music behind it. And it was boom. It was all this like it was funny. It was good. It was a great time. And my wife got a communion dress. Okay, she ain't wore yet. But she she just might bust it out one time on y'all. But they loved on us, and they really they really really did. And um uh and one brother In all of uh, what he desired he he gave he gave me a check. He said, "Man, take this, brother Mike. Go ahead and we we just we gonna miss y'all and y'all, y'all, y'all we, you know take, do easy down uh, be good down there in uh in Memphis." And so I go, I'm like, "Okay, good. I appreciate that, brother." I go to cash the check, and was like uh ain't no money in the bank. I look at the check I look at the person I look at the check I look at the person and so I was like thank God I don't have to go back to church to see brother so and so because I'm going to be like brother you know you could take the check back you may want to but nevertheless the nevertheless I make that point because I don't people, we shouldn't be generous and it's frivolous right we should be generous with a knowledge of what we know that we have in our means and that, that's important. So they gave beyond their means, but they weren't frivolous in what they were giving. And then they gave according to their own accord. They weren't pumped and primed. They weren't pressed. It wasn't something that they were, they were seemingly thinking that if, I, if, if, um, if if Paul is pushing me to do such a thing, then I'll give. They have to do any of that. God, they gave on their own accord with a willingness of generosity with no pressure, with no pressure. A good, a good um, testimony of that is, and Ms. Down. I hope she don't mind me using it, she already said it herself, but when in the uh, DVD of, of the women's retreat, not DVD, the video of the women's retreat, she made mention of her testimony, and many of y'all may maybe remember that testimony of how she, at one point in time, needed help going to the women's retreat, but now she was able, at this women's retreat, to pay for herself and for somebody else. She wasn't pushed, pressured to prime. She gave according to her own accord. And that's what it means to give willingly without being pressured according to your own accord and acknowledging where you are. And that's the importance of understanding who we are in the context of community. And then... When it's this idea of they urgently pled with us for the privilege of sharing, this is the understanding that you're sharing, not on you're giving, not because you're contributing just to some act or some effort. It's the power and the work of the kingdom of God that you're advancing. And so when you see other people in need, and this is where we shout out our deacons, when you see other people in need, our deacons, they've, they've made their ministry, the diaconate ministry, on supporting the needs, the physical needs of people who come into our congregation who have nothing, who are walking with everything that they have in two bags. And sometimes they're trying to get into the shelter. Sometimes they're just trying to get money for food on the table. Sometimes they're just trying to uh, get a bus pass. But what happens is when we tell people to go to the back and meet deacons, what they're doing is they're going because we understand as a church that it's a privilege to serve people who are in need. And then gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That's important to know. Why? Because we can't give if we haven't given to ourselves, given out, we can't give out of a joyfulness in the midst of affliction and poverty if we haven't given ourselves to the Lord. Because sometimes we're looking for that to be reciprocated. Giving freely and generously, graciously, means you're not looking for it to be reciprocated. You're giving because you know what's been given to you. And how you've given yourself to the Lord. Amen. And so when you look at the first point, gracious, uh, uh, motivated generosity leads us to joyfulness. It leads us to joyfulness no matter where you are in your life. Some of you know for sure that sometimes you live in paycheck to paycheck millennials. I know those student loans are busting you over the head. And sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. And all you can do is muster up $10. Sometimes you have obligations and you don't know what, what, what to choose and what to pick. You're trying to do 10% in offering or you're trying to give to a ministry that came. and You're trying to give, out to, give to, to missionaries that are asking for support. Listen, it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done for you. And when you understand that God is going to take care of his church, he's going to take care of his people, they will never be forsaken. The Bible says the righteous are never forsaken. Never begging for bread. And so the truth be told, the joy comes from the fact that we know Jesus, and we know he will supply every need, and we know that he will take care of every person in this church and around the world. Why? Because he's a gracious and good God. And so when you look at it, then point number two, when we look at grace-motivated generosity as an outward expression of an inward spiritual forming, then we have to realize what Paul is taking this pastoral moment when he says in verse 7, he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving uh, and so what, what What he then he goes on to say is, I am in verse 8 I am not commanding you but But I to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul does not want the people to go to the people of God to feel overwhelmed, to feel like this is heavy handed. But Paul is encouraging them and affirming them them warmly and and, in a posture that is humble. Why is that? Because Paul wants them to know that he's endorsing them to grow in their spiritual development. Their desire to grow in faith We can't miss that Desire to grow in the knowledge of proclaiming the truth We can't, we can't miss that the, the fact that they want to grow in knowing more truth each and every day We can't miss that The zeal and the love that they have for God and his people We cannot miss that But what he's saying is What's been kindled in you In the growing in the Lord Should also motivate you To add an extra layer of what it means to act to means that you should actually uh, proceed in displaying the acts of grace. Am I making this? Am I making it sense? If you proceed in the acts of grace, what Paul is saying is your giving then is not dictated upon me telling you what to do, commanding you what to do. It is dictated primarily because you want to see restorative acts happen out of grace in the lives of believers, those that are non-believers and those that are believers that have genuine acts of love. The genuine act of love is that sometimes you know that you know that you know that you know that you don't have anything to give. Then don't. don't stop praying don't stop fasting don't stop the spiritual in working forming of your life because you don't have anything in your pockets the most rich generosity that you have is the grace that was given to you that then motivates you to go to the Lord who has everything to provide that's, that's also a practice that should happen in our lives. Because what happens is, is God shows us favor. I remember my auntie, she would always say, baby Grace, uh, she would say, favor ain't fair. And you're like, auntie, what's that man? I don't know. But the reality is, <laughs> the reality is, it isn't. Favor is not something that is Fair. It's grace. And so again, when we understand what's forming us and shaping us in our lives, oftentimes we're formed and shaped by what we see on the TV. We're formed and shaped by every sale that we see. We're formed and shaped by the things that we feel like we can get our hands on. We're formed and shaped by the things that we want to wear. We're formed and shaped by the positions that we want to be in. We're formed and shaped by every single thing in society that builds habits and rhythms in us, but don't have gospel bearings. Don't help us to display acts of grace and genuine love. And when I say genuine love, I mean this: when you know somebody in your community group needs some kind of help, it doesn't mean necessarily that you know if if they need help that you 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 have to be the one to save them and help them. But it means that you acknowledge the fact that they are in need, and that you go to their need. You ask how do, do your need how can we how how do, how do you need your needs met. And if you can't do it, you pray. And this is, this is also what's important about this because sometimes we can miss it. Uh, I know for me and myself, me and my family, uh, uh, matter of fact, every time, and I told you all this last week, we benefited from sometimes when our car break down, someone would let us borrow their car. Right? My wife was going through nursing school. We didn't need another bill. We, didn't need a, we, we couldn't just go get a cardinal. We didn't want to do that. But someone else said, can we help you? And, and loaned a vehicle. I remember one of the most gracious things that happened to me when I was going to college was that my English teacher from 8th grade, Mr. Allen, wrote me a check for $2,500 to go off to school. I didn't even understand what that meant for someone to display such grace in that moment because all I, because it was, because I didn't even, I didn't have to see him. I was, I I didn't, I didn't see him for five years, but God put me on his mind in order to give. That's powerful. And so what I'm saying to you guys, even in the context of community, it helps. Why? Because verse 9, it it seals the deal for us. Verse 9 seals the deal for us. Look at verse 9. It says this, and we read it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. The first words that he says, for you know the what? This is not an intellectualized knowing. This is a relational knowing of the grace that Jesus has been able to place on His people, bestow on His people through the efforts of the cross makes it change the way that we understand what it means to have intentional, intimate relationship with Christ. Because you, if you don't understand the grace of God, there is no way you, we can understand what it means to be generous to others. That is my major point. That's why I'm saying I said from the beginning that our generosity needs to be motivated by what Jesus has done out of the sacrifice for us. Why? Because when we look at what he did, Jesus didn't do what we often do. We give out of this resource. Jesus actually became poor. So it wasn't that God came. With money in his money bags to free people. God put away his richness. Entered into our poverty. And gave himself out of that. How many people will become broke so they can give to somebody else? That's exactly what Jesus did. And that's why it's so powerful. Because the spiritual reality that works in our hearts and our minds begins to change us because extreme poverty helps us to understand that we cannot, we cannot give. But when Jesus shifts the paradigm, he says, I'm giving over my riches so that you may become rich. Oh, what does that mean? Now that you're adopted children, you're no longer just poor children. You don't feel like orphans and aliens. You're my child. And so what is in the kingdom, you will also inherit. Oh, you you may feel as if you're beat down, broken, and and pushed to the side. But, But let me remind you this morning of what the text says. It's not just about what you give out of your pocket. It's giving your time. It's sacrificing time. It's sacrificing the moment that in which when you can put your personality aside to look to the need of somebody else. I've been I'm always joking about the ideogram stuff and the Myers Briggs stuff. I, because when when the staff asked me what number I am, I say I'm a hundred. <laughs> right. But sometimes we're not wired. What I learned from listening to them, we're not wired the same. <laughs> Different wounds and we have different issues, and they cause different things in our lives. And so, sometimes we have to jump over the barrier by God's grace in order to see the needs of our brothers and sisters because sometimes we can't see it because of our own wiring. And what I'm saying to you, and what I believe the Bible is saying, is that this reality helps us so much because, like the Macedonian church may not have a lot, but we don't need to be pumped, primed. We don't need to be pressured in order to give out of abundance, even though there's extreme poverty. Why? Because you desire the spiritual inworking of Christ. Grace Grohner, y'all probably heard me talk about her once. She died. And when Grace died, nobody knew that she had $7 million. Why? Because she lived in a one-bedroom apartment. She worked a regular old grocery store job. I mean, no, a pharmaceutical sales job. She didn't have a car. Where she shopped, it wasn't Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or Spruce or, 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 or Sprouts. I said Spruce. <laughs> Sprouts. Me Jesus. Sprouts. Fresh market. She wasn't eating fine dining. She saved her money because the way she lived in order to benefit others. Because at the the end of her life, when they found out she had seven million dollars, in the will it said she wanted to make a foundation for students to go to college. Grace in the reality of her own life and by her name actually said that I don't wanna live a life that's lavish because I want to look to help those in need out of her own richness and what she had she stewarded in such a way that she didn't live above and beyond but she lived in the context of what she had so that others may benefit as well isn't that the gospel? shouldn't we teach our kids every time this offering plate come around to put whatever change you have in your pocket, to teach them to put it in there. Because they don't have anything, and so whatever you give them, they put it in there. And they can remember, ever since a baby, I've always given. I've always given. Even when you are walking around here and you have your babies, and you're doing hospitality, or you're serving in some capacity, Having them with you to, to hand out bulletins. Having them with you to teach a class. You know what beauty in that is? They will, never remember, they will never forget a day where I wasn't serving somebody else. In the church, outside of the church. That is the beauty of grace-motivated generosity. Because even babies can get it. And it will form and shape them in a spiritual way. That will transform their lives. So, this outward acknowledgement of this should help us to see that we're privileged to participate with God in his work. Why? Not because we want to exalt ourselves. But as the tax collector and the Pharisee, in that story in Matthew, in Luke 19, I mean 18, 9 through 14, when you had the Pharisee who prided himself on how much he had given. And how much in what he did. And you had this tax collector. Who didn't have a lot. And he worked for the Romans. And he took from other people. He was, he was working a deadbeat job. But he gave whatever he had. And Jesus said. He's exalted because of his humility. That's the last part of this. Grace motivated generosity. Is an outward expression of God's grace in our life. And his sacrifice which then keeps us humble, no matter how much we give. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you and we bless you for your mercy and your grace and how, love, how good you've been to us. As we sing this song, that you're awesome, help us to sing knowing that there is no one else like you. And you are a God that can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask. And so we help, help us, Lord Jesus, to be a church that lives a life that displays your grace and do acts that also allow your grace to be manifested. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. All God's people say it. Let us continue to worship God with the gifts of God. Amen.